Good, good afternoon. Actually, it's not even afternoon. It's 1030, <laughs> 10.35 in the morning. 10.30 in the morning. Who's counting? Yeah, but it's like, you know, it's like, um, you know, they tape the late night shows, but it's like, you know, six Middle in the, the afternoon. Yeah. Like, well, good night, everybody. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, used to, I used to think when you were a kid, you're like, well, I'm staying up late. That's okay. uh, <laughs> oh, the Saturday Night Live, those, those guys, they're, there's a, you know, that's, they're staying up late. Is that even live though? Like when yeah. it's actually sent, it's, it's live sent. I think there's a, I think there is a, maybe a 20 or 30 second delay in case. It's just in case something happens. But I mean, th- that was a big thing. Don't you remember? It was a while ago, Ashley Simpson, Jessica Simpson's yeah. uh, sister. She had some issues and it was pretty clear. War- she, wardrobe lip, malfunction. No lip syncing. She was lip syncing. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So like the next week you two was on and Bono made it very clear live he kept he kept like interjecting in the songs he kept interjecting comments and he go we're live we're live you know <laughs> i think because at that point a lot of point artists i think wanted to be clear like ah, i don't lip sync we're right this, this is the sound i mean it wasn't lip sync maybe it was the backing track and the backing vocals were 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 not live i think i think it might have been with that with her i'm you know some huh. some some of the some of it was made to look live but it wasn't apparently it was a big scandal so, but SNL's is live, yeah. I mean, it is called Saturday Night Live, but huh? American, American institution, <laughs> which is never funny when I watch it live. But certain skits over the yeah. years are funny. Yeah, they it's have funny how that is. They have their ups and downs. I haven't watched it in years and years and years. Neither, neither have I. Well, mainly because you you live in Spain. I live in Spain, but. You know. <laughs> cultural mark cultural markers you know things you should at least know what's going on maybe not watch it but although i wonder you know that's do you, I wonder do you, now, do you follow do you follow spanish culture like do you follow are there shows or like things that people talk about like oh did you see i that's one of the things that actually i, I bemoan a little bit in sweden yeah. is that i came here you know when netflix and things were, were getting going the internet was becoming a bigger part and so the world has become a smaller place and Swedes yeah. have really incredible English. So they watch TV and see it in English. So sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on like the things that are very specific Swedish. Cause everyone talks about shows that like from their game, from their, yeah, games yeah. of Thrones, they were watching live, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. But the, the stuff from their, their, their youth is more, you yeah. know, you talk to people our yeah. age, like we would have a language about certain TV shows and movies Mm-hmm. So I, I I so I agree. I feel like that's a little something I, mi- I miss out. Oh, we like to watch. So we we'll watch Spanish movies, you know, or okay. TV shows. Not so much, but but I don't really know. There's not a lot of Spanish TV shows anymore. It's all global now. Right, right. You no, know, or or well, they had the um. But there was a Spanish was, TV show that was really popular. What is it? Yeah, called? the heist, money heist or something. Money, money, money heist? heist. Money heist. In Spanish, it's called um, paper house, paper house, or casa de papel, the house of paper. Okay. in spanish but obviously that sounds better money heist in english but yeah that that was, did really well so i mean spain produces uh you know it, it culture you know yeah uh, tv shows not so much we watch you know every once in a while watch some of the like there's a show called españoles por el mundo and they have regional ones like andalusia's por el mundo it, so basically it's basically they go they take a camera crew to like dallas and they call up all the spaniards or andalusia's no way who live there and they go around and they go, show us your life and they, they take them around and do like five or six people. So it's like MTV it's, cribs, but for Spaniards. Yeah. Yeah. But world. for Spanish people, <laughs> but it's, and they talk about the culture and cause you know, 
and it's, so it's, it's really fascinating, especially when you see your own country or city. Is, uh, so we like to watch it. And we've had a lot of our staff have been on it. Who've been li- oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Um, because, because, you know, Spain's not a super big country, but, you know, when they find out, oh, well, you know, Loida lives in Portugal. We should go, you know, right, I've got right. a friend who's got a friend. I know, you know, especially when you're going, we're doing something in, in Porto. It's easy to find. But we've had... Yeah. Um, we've had you know two or three staff who've been on one of the i think there's there's like andalusia's there's madrileños so people they have a show that's just for people from madrid who live in other countries yeah. and places so i think there right. might even there might even be a galicians por mundo out there where galicians living uh so, so do you do you ever have this happen where you you'll say something and then as someone else starts talking about it and you say it really rather definitively like no one talks about tv shows or whatever and now I'm starting to realize over the years, my wife and I have had like four or five Swedish, very Swedish TV shows. And there's actually quite a few that like we follow. Uh, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> like hey, I'm now realizing my, my wife listens to this podcast. So she'll be like, what are you thinking? Like, what are you thinking? did you just completely forget? But, but <laughs> there's like but six TV shows that we love. Yeah. But we're not as in depth as with the, with the pop culture and, and as, as we would have had we grown up in that. I think that's, I think that's, yeah, difference. that's one of the difficulties. Yeah. That's uh-huh. one of the, and, and there's a, and, and you don't have the, you're not able at many points to consume as much. I, I would think it'd be really hard in Sweden because the English, I mean, what's the, there was that one show with uh, what's her face's brother. He, he had it and it was, it was the whole yeah, show. Welcome, was in English. welcome to Sweden. Welcome yeah. to Sweden. The whole thing was in English. Cause I watched, it's kind of a, it's got some, yeah. really, Will Ferrell was on it. Cause you know, his yeah. wife is mm-hmm. Swedish. Uh, so, you know, you, it's hard, like that's part of the culture, but it's also, this part of this global nomadic kind of culture as well. Yeah. We yeah. And the, that show was a little bit unique in the, in that it did it in English. Most, most Swedish television oh, okay. program shows are, are going to be in Swedish mm-hmm. uh, unless they have like, there's this um, actually a Norwegian talk show host mm-hmm. um, whose program is mostly only in Sweden um, who interviews people. And, but when they, when he had, when he, you know, he has international people on, he had uh Gosh, you had Jordan Peterson on, so everybody switches over to English, you yeah, know, for that yeah. segment, and then it's just yeah. like, okay, they go back, and it's yeah. a really, really interesting thing. So, um, we're actually watching a, a show, or my wife kind of introduced us to it, um, a show called uh, uh, "Help." We bought a farm, huh? <laughs> and it's Help. This, we bought a farm. <laughs> it's this family that like kind of grew up out in the country, and you know, they've kind of had their careers, and they've been successful, or whatever, or they're younger and they were living in Stockholm and they decided to move out into the country and they bought this farm and they're restoring this farm. So it's this couple's mm-hmm. journey of kind of, anyway, it's been kind of a, a, a cool program that, that mm-hmm. we watch. Um, but, it's but it's funny because people come on, there, there's another show called, um, oh, Renee's peer is how it would uh, translate. And this woman who's a really good interviewer uh, rents a, a house on the Swedish, um, Archip- or Stockholm archipelago usually mm-hmm. and then she has every week she has like four guests come and they do an overnight there and she oh, kind cool. of does things with them oh, interviewing yeah. them and yeah. it's all these it's all these really famous people but it's funny because Victoria and I sometimes are like I got no clue who this person is yeah. <laughs> we're just yeah. like because we didn't yeah. grow, like That's, you said we did yeah. we didn't grow up in it but it's interesting so this is what I was going to ask my kids are starting to have all these pop culture references yeah. that we have no clue about yeah are your kids the same way? Do they know people in Spain that you're like, who is that? And your kids are like, yeah, dad, that's, you know, Pablo Escobar. Or, I don't know. 
yeah 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 i think that's that's totally a very similar situation where they at least they know um you know musicians and songs and stuff and that i don't know and, and certain certain spanish things uh i mean obviously there's a generational level there right. but it isn't because right. you know at the same time i'm trying to teach our kids a little bit about american stuff right like you right. want to like like you know we the other night i watched a little bit of the the bob dylan no direction home that martin scorsese directed uh you know documentary about about bob dylan uh you know i mean it's it's an incredibly important cultural marker in american culture musical culture because it's, it's when he went from being a folk artist to being a rock musician and okay. then the outfall of all that which was which was huge but jane that that's what basically opened up the door rock was not considered a serious meth, uh, medium folk was but what dylan did was then allow bands like the beatles the rolling stones to then be, be seen as serious musicians mm. serious and make serious music the beatles said oh we didn't know we could sing about those songs we didn't know we could say those things um, before they was all, oh, well, you know, I want to hold your great songs, but they were, you know, let's be honest, lyrically there wasn't a lot going on, right, uh, right. In, in that time, but but you know it was this huge, you know, and then so I, I'm trying every once in a while to get my kids to see things like you know Back to the Future, uh, <laughs> Three Amigos, Three, three Amigos, <laughs> and things, and so you're trying to uh, trying to add that in because you want your kids to have some kind of what was the other thing recently Raising Arizona, oh my gosh, classic, classic. I mean, just some, there's so many great kind of classic movies that well i mean maybe and maybe i have maybe people are probably going well, this guy's weird this guy what, what <laughs> well, these are i, you, I never say this stuff you do have an eclectic taste in <laughs> yeah movies. i do have eclectic i mean taste. you you yeah. uh you you enjoy the uh, you enjoyed the the importance of it's funny how th certain things that are of seminal importance in a society are actually maybe not necessarily the things that are really popular but yeah. they paved the way for the thing that became popular yeah yeah uh, so like dylan dylan's obviously huge and everything but he yeah. wasn't as big as the beatles but had dylan never existed the beatles would not yeah. have been able to do the things that they yeah. did yeah. so it's it's well, that's fascinating well, dylan would say if it wasn't for buddy holly elvis who else he, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have existed right you know? those are the right. guys he looked at and went wow that, that's i want to do that i want to that's amazing right um but then took it his own way you know so, so my son had a uh, assignment so my son in fourth grade in in sweden you uh, start having english class and so my my son <laughs> yeah. being fluent in english having two english speaking parents uh had an assignment the other day and uh which is fine because he, he doesn't know how to write very well i yeah, mean he actually yeah. does a really great job but he yeah. it gets confusing because he's like how do you spell the word you know whatever and it's like yeah. oh yeah and and through you know like that one is tough in english and just these different things yeah, yeah. but uh, oh, anyway yeah. he had an assignment to kind of tell about himself and they learned the assignment was like hello my name is i come from yeah. and he was like where do i come from <laughs> yeah yeah and it was this moment of clarity for us as a family of like, well, you are an American citizen, your whole life you've been in Sweden, but really you're a citizen of heaven. And it was this cool moment of like, we as a family go, we're pilgrims on this earth. Yeah. We, we are journeying and following Jesus as best we can. And ultimately our identity is not American. It's not Swedish. Let me tell you about the place and the culture of the identity yeah. we follow. Yeah. Uh, and of course we had literally 30 seconds before he lost interest in that conversation. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But I mean, it, it was a kind of, a, I've been really pondering on that. Um, 
and it makes me start thinking about, of course, all these cultural things and all these, um, I think one of the exercises of a missionary, we talk a lot about how to be a good missionary or whatever on this podcast, um, is, is really being able to read and gather context. So yeah, yeah. Read, read, the, read the context that's around you, but also read good books and, and things like that. Um, so my question for us today is, uh, what are seminal books or books that have had big impact on you, secular, yeah. Christian, whatever, doesn't have to be necessarily associated with missions itself. It can be just, this is an important book and journey of my life or, yeah. or whatever else, um, that just have impacted you. Um, I'm always looking for good books to read. I know you're well-read, so maybe I can learn a few things, but maybe well, this will tip some people well off. This will tip some yeah. people off maybe into some, some good, um, good books out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, any, so, so that this can be open. So one of the books that I'll start off with, okay. I think, uh, I referenced actually in a conversation with a staff the other day, um, that I continue to go back to this book, uh, time and time again, uh, a book called for the glory of God written by Rodney Stark, who is a sociologist yeah, 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 yeah. at right Baylor there. university mm-hmm. and Stark. I don't know Stark's faith. I, I suspect he might be Christian, but he doesn't seem to let that affect because he's very honest. Um, but that book really goes through kind of the good and the bad of essentially some of European history, but he, he doesn't allow some of the revisionist ism that's gone on. So he tackles the inquisitions, the witch trials, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he tackles slavery, he tackles just tons of really tough subjects and he brings fact and perspective to these things. And, um, and it, it, it's, it just continues to be a book that I go back to and back to again and again for reference points on very difficult subjects. Yeah. Um, but I just, I continue to, and I read that Michael Metatol, actually, I get so many books from Michael. Michael yeah, Metatol Mike, introduces. Yeah, Mike is. Uh, yeah, we should have him on just to discuss eater. books. Yeah, tell some books, um, Mike. But yeah, so Rodney Stark, and I would actually recommend anything from Rodney Stark. I read a book on actually the Crusades that he wrote called God's uh-huh. Battalions. Uh, Help me understand the Crusades better. Uh, he doesn't say, hey, the Crusades are a great thing, but he begins to bring some perspective to it that you just miss out on yeah. if you're reading popular, popular reading. So those are those are a couple of books. Anything by Rodney Stark is just I yeah. Recommend. I, I agree. I read I've read some and some other stuff. He he's got another one. I don't remember what the, what's called. Uh, and I'm trying to find a pen and write these. But I got ideas like flowing through my brain. Now I'm going to lose them. But uh, <laughs> um, but uh, he's got another one. Oh, here we go. For uh, for, for the listening <laughs> audience, Garrick is is like panicked, looking around the room. I'm like, I have ideas. Phone. I have ideas. Uh, um, so. He has um, another one where he talks about the growth of Christianity. Yeah, that how that happened. Fantastic. And that's fantastic. I think that one is really good, especially if you're interested in movements and God's working. Because he takes it. He's very. He's a sociologist. He takes it and takes it very yeah. historically, very sociologically, if that's a word, um, and really helps uh, you see. Okay, this is how the movement progressed in the first 300 years of Christianity. Yeah. It's fast. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. Okay. So I, I agree. Rodney Stark and, and he's a, he goes against the grain. Oh, that's totally. what I like. So he, but he's fair. He's not, yep. he's not writing um, propaganda, but he's definitely saying, okay, here is what kind of people think. And, but he, let's look at what really happened. You know, yep. Yep. Um, I, I, I agree. Okay. So I, I've got one. I'll go with a novel. Okay. So I'll go, I'll go with two, two novels by the same author 
which I, th- I think if you're a missionary, you should read. Okay. Shusako Endo, two novels, the one called Silence, which was recently made into a movie, Smart Scorsese. Oh, yeah, right. Uh-huh. And the other's called The Samurai. Okay. So they're, they're both Was essentially the Samurai about, made into a movie? Was that the no. last Samurai? No, 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 <laughs> no. But they're both kind of historical fiction based in, you know, China's early, I mean, China, Japan, sorry, Japan's early mixing with Europe, but particularly with uh, Catholic missionaries. And, <laughs> and he, Shizaka Endo is a, is, was a, is a believer who passed away, but uh, he was a, he was practicing Catholic. So he, he so the, but he, he was very interested in that, that, that story of how did Christianity come into people's lives? Uh, but he obviously had, takes a very low church view of things of like, you know, the, the, the suffering Jesus, the Jesus who right. is there, even when we think he maybe not, isn't there. And really against the fact that maybe that Jesus does not come in the pomp and circumstance of the big church, but he, he's, he's, he's there on the side quietly working where we don't, we don't see him and expect him, but he's there. Um, you know, two, his, two great, two great novels, fun to it, read. Powerful, his portrayal, powerful. at least in the movie Silence, his portrayal of those, I believe they were Portuguese Jesuits, right? Yeah, the Portuguese Jesuits, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, some of the things that the Jesuits were doing even in, in Japan, I actually recently read a book recommended of uh, Mike Schatzman, um, Portugal, the first global village. You will never find a bigger cheerleader for Portugal than Mike Schatzman. <laughs> the Schatzmans are great because they, they love Portugal. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, love it. Like, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, like anytime, like something comes up that's like tangentially related to Portugal. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like, you know, <laughs> well, Portugal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we were, we were actually with them in Spain uh, on doing this tour of this out, outdoor tour. And the, the guy was talking about some battle uh, between Portugal and Spain that had happened there. It was really key, yeah. but it was kind of a small battle. And it was like, it was like 300 Spaniards against 5,000 Portuguese. And he, the way he was explaining it was, you know, basically the Portuguese made a mistake and they were able to capture his, the general because of that they won. But as I was explaining it, translating their kids were like, no, 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 that's, that's not true. That, that's, <laughs> they were like, literally that, that could not have happened. That's, that would not, that's, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, you know, but um, you know, you just see like we, this, these are people who who love and know and feel the country. Yeah, they they love it. I love I love yeah. it. But yeah, so so one of the things he pointed out was in the so in this book, the guy talked about how the Jesuits were very involved with learning local language and yeah. uh, adjusting to the culture and trying to, especially in Japan. Um, and I just thought that was a I made me one of the things that I'm going to start researching now is kind of, okay, that Japanese Jesuit kind yeah. of situation that was going on. Cause I think there's a lot Tough. to learn there. And, but what's interesting is that they were making huge headways into Japan before it all got shut down. Yeah. Uh, and I think we, we, because we're not known about it, we've, we're just not aware of, of how those things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was, I think there was a long history even of underground Christianity for several yeah. centuries after that of people who yeah. who kept kept on but they because of the the danger of being killed for being christian or, or ostracized they kept they were able to keep the church going yeah. for quite a while um but so I, I really if you're a missionary if you're interested in cross-cultural missions i really those are just two books because they're just they're just great reads they uh theologically too 
pose some really interesting questions, but also as, as missionaries, they pose some questions. I think, and obviously you and I don't deal with being killed or persecuted in that way, but we do deal with that. What am I, what I'm bringing into this uh, culture or these people, is it, is it really worthwhile? Is it yeah. really, you know, and how am I, how am I also disengaging my own culture and my own assumptions and really following Jesus? So I, I, those two books, the samurai and silence, are just, just great reads. I, in the vein of uh, missionary, uh, necessary missionary reading, I would say To the Golden Shore, the story yeah. of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson, yes. Uh, the first, first international missionary from America. Um, so one of the things I don't like about missionary biographies, I actually stopped reading them, mm-hmm. um, is because I feel like they're Photoshopped. Um, yeah. It's, it's just like, too. here's this person that's just perfect and we should all strive to be this person. And it's like, look, no one is like that to the golden shore does not present a guy who is perfect. It presents warts and all, and it is, you know, his struggles of doubt, but it's not like, and here's how he overcame it. And he became the greatest guy ever. It's kind of like, Ooh, he's, he's kind of ugly. Um, <laughs> so, but just an incredible guy who endured incredible things. I actually was referencing him the other day because he, um, he actually changed his view of baptism on the boat to his assignment. So he was first going to India and he became a believer in believers baptism. He started rereading the Greek and everything and and became convinced that it was believers baptism as opposed to, um, uh, you know, covenantal, you know, infant baptism. And, And so he got to India and, sent a letter back to his sending agency or his sending denomination telling them, Hey, I got a problem here. But to their credit, they, they continued to support him for years and years and years. Uh-huh. Uh, even though he, he kind of took one of their main mainstays. Um, so anyway, I, th- I thought that was, it's a fascinating book. Um, guy suffered terrible tragedy, uh, lost, I think three or four wives. Um, but I also think it shows you the ugliness of, um, someone who was so sold out for the mission of the gospel that he forgot about the mission to his family. Uh, yeah. Um, you really see how his kids suffered and how they, you know, I mean, in those yeah. days it was common to send your kids off to boarding school and, you know, I mean, yeah. it was different times. I don't, I don't want to be too judgmental on him, but you can tell his kids had a really hard time uh, yeah. with, his lack of presence in their lives. And yeah. um, so it's it a fantastic book. Highly recommend it. Uh, if anyone's never read it thick, but I like thick books. Yeah. I was back when they wrote thick books. They still do. You yeah. Just, you just, uh, you just can't find them as, as much anymore. They don't sell very well. No. Because, yeah. The, the world is, the world is, is uh, worse off for it. Yeah. Another, um, another book I would say, uh, I, so my, my first year on staff, I was in Central Asia and I read, it's like when I w- awoke to reading many, many books. That first year I read 75 books because after a certain hour in the day, no one would do anything. And so I was at home and there wasn't yeah. TV or yeah, anything. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Former, lo- former lo- Soviet lo- Union. Lonely male stinter. I've been there, been there. Lonely male stinter. <laughs> In the former so, Soviet Union. Yeah, so I've would, been there. Yeah, <laughs> so I read I read a lot of books, and one of them was uh, Beyond Belief uh, by um, someone I forget F M Nial. I gotta I gotta look at it. But it's the yeah. Journeys Among the Converted Peoples, uh-huh, and uh-huh. it is um, it is a look at Islam 
from the perspective or among the peoples who were converted by force. So yeah. not Arabs. So he goes to Indonesia, Central Asia, uh, Persia, and these different places, and he kind of explores Islam. And man, at the time, it was just such a like a, revel a revelation that went off in my head. Fantastic book. So I, I would say a pretty famous book, but In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nouwen. Mm. I would still say best, best, I'd say best, it'll take you like an hour to read. It's, it's uh, maybe two. It's a short book, but it just helped me see, okay, that's the core of what leadership is, mm. uh, which is, you know, being like Jesus, service, you know, and, and he just, he just does a great job of unpacking and he just, he just was a really pithy guy as mm. far as like kind of giving you like, I think what he calls it, oh, I can't remember all the, but he has, he has like three shifts you need to make, you know, like from this to that. So they were always really, you know, he, he, he was, he was the first guy I think I read who said being leader has nothing to do with being cool or being relevant, you know, um, which sometimes we, which I think we are, that's always the, the core assumption of, for a lot of people and for yeah. me growing up, it's yeah. like, well, he's cool. So must be a good leader. Um, which, which as I get older, gives me hope. There was yeah, a time yeah, yeah. where I could <laughs> lean on my coolness. I can no longer. Yeah. Lean. Yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to keep it keep it going but uh i don't know that's my that's my kids and wife what they think but. Uh, henry now you know i unfortunately have never read a lot of his stuff um, uh -huh. i'm into some things now that um that I, people continue to i mean everyone and their dog references him but yeah, i think yeah. more so more so some kind of um i don't know uh unhurried living sort of things that that yeah. I'm, I'm i'm reading that they're referencing now in quite a bit yeah. Um, a book I picked up, which I have not read, but I've heard so much about is the pastor by Eugene Peterson. Yeah. And, uh, I just picked it up this week. I'm really looking forward to reading that. Peterson's have you ever read it? No, I haven't. I've just, it's, it's, I'm not the same with Peterson. I've never read much of his, maybe some articles, yeah. but everyone references him. And I've, I borrowed a book of a friend of mine as a pastor like 10 years ago and I still have it. I haven't read it yet, but I know I'm supposed to read it. Working the angles supposed to be also a good book. Huh about pastoring and shepherding people okay uh, all yeah. right so you you lead a, you read a lot of history any history books that you're like oh this is a and specifically any history books that maybe have helped you in your ministry in spain or just perspective to um yeah to learn people so there's a there's a i've i think i've probably said it before but there's a proverb an afghan proverb um learn another language earn another soul yeah and that there's that perspective that in a language is a people's history and it's their struggles and everything else. And so I would say, you know, I love context. It's one of my strengths and strengths finders, but so I naturally am bent that way. And I, I have an appreciation for it that comes maybe more natural to me. But for me, the more that I can understand a, a, a people's history, the more yeah. that I feel like I'm engaged with ministry, but also I have perspective on, you know, why certain things are done that make me less judgmental. In all honesty, I'm a pretty judgmental yeah. person. I'm quick to go try to draw conclusions. And I have to really fight to be curious in order to go, well, why is it this way? Yeah. Um, so any history books that you've read or, or? Well, aside from big, wonderful thing, a history of Texas, uh, which, <laughs> which helps which you is, understand you, <laughs> which helps me understand how awesome uh, Texas is. Um, well, no, I mean, I, I tend to read a lot. Spanish uh, history, um, but but okay. So, but what I think are just tremendous history books, and I think 
I would I would recommend it for people in in leadership or doing is is Rick Atkinson the Liberation Trilogy mm. three books uh, the first one an Army at Dawn which touches on the American invasion of North Africa okay then the Day of the Battle which touches on the American uh, invasion of Sicily and Italy and then finally of course the Guns at Last Light which is uh, the invasion of Western Europe and the to the end of the war. Um, it, they're they're incredible books if you like military history if you like history but he, he, there's this he's talking a lot about the leadership and I, whether I, he's aware of it or not he, he he's always kind of giving you these tremendous uh lessons in in good leadership and bad leadership and courage and the things that i i've been looked at and go, wow that's something for instance yeah I, there's something I, I didn't know maybe people don't know but which he gets into is, you know, Eisenhower, which, you know, how, and how he, and how difficult it was for him to lead because he was leading a coalition army. Right. Right. And he had, and he had the, the Brits with Churchill on its back and the Brits weren't exactly super easy to work with. Uh, and then he, you know, he had other stuff going. He had, so he had to be a politician. He had to be a military leader. You know, he had to do all these things and just, and, and he had to build a good team around him. He had to trust, you know, so you just, you look at it and you go, wow, there's so many things that when, when you're, I'm not obviously not leading in any type of situation that even remotely addresses that, but, but, you know, but you, you can see that and you go, okay, well, I mean, for instance, one of the great things I, I, I learned from that was the night before D-Day, he, uh, Eisenhower had a letter written up, ready to go. It said, uh, we launched the invasions. Uh, basically I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing. It's really short. It was what he would send to Roosevelt. But it said, uh, you know, we, we launched the invasions. Uh, they've been unsuccessful. I've re- pulled back the troops. All, uh, all guilt or all fault for this falls on me alone. Right. Um, yeah. But you know, so that like that that's like tremendous leadership in that moment. He was prepared to you know to take full responsibility for you know what would have either been one of the greatest successes ever or one of the greatest failures ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I really recommend as history books. They're and they're just well written. Uh, huh. So the the they're called Liberation Trilogy. So there's a. There's another guy, uh, Stephen Pressfield, if you're familiar with him, writes historical fiction. Uh, um, and uh, he actually, the, 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 the movie Enemy at the Gates is, yeah, based, yeah, yeah. is based on his novel. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Actually, also, uh, the, the Legend of Bagger Vance is also one of his novels. Uh, yeah. um, but he, he also wrote a book called The Lion's Gate, which is about the Six-Day War in Israel. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I've seen that. I've and he makes a point in that book i I assume that he's reflecting on true history and true motivation or or whatever but he makes a point that at one point during the war um basically the israeli armies the way they would operate was um the top of that hill is your objective figure out how to get there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whereas the egyptian army and the Syrian army, they operated, they were very, do not do anything unless you're told. Mm-hmm. And Don't so when up. a curveball was thrown, they couldn't adjust, but the Israeli army was all about adjusting. And so they yeah. were able to, you know, overcome and, and everything. And that has actually, that point alone has, mm-hmm. has affected more of my decisions as a leader mm-hmm. than probably... Well, I think it probably connects with my personality. I, yeah. but, but I think at the same time that 
the decisions we make as a leader, I, I can be pretty hands off because mm-hmm. look, here's your objective. I'm going to do everything I can to give you the tools that you need. But at the end of the day, if I'm just giving you orders, you're not, you're not getting to the top of that hill. And, that, no. the, and so his point is the, uh, you're giving the best way to lead is, is to give tools and resources for people to use their own ingenuity to be able yeah. to solve a problem rather than to say, here's the task. We need it done this way. Yeah. Now there is a time and a place for a McDonald's style of, you know, effort, but there's also a time <laughs> and a place to go, yeah. Hey, look, here's what, here's what we need to do. Yeah. So, um, so long as you're not building hamburgers, maybe what you need is a little bit more. Uh, yeah. So that, that book, the lion's gate was a fantastic book and you really hit uh-huh. on that point. Well, um, I'm trying to think of some spiritual books. Um, a book that I read in college, um, the normal Christian life by Watchman Nee. Um, oh yeah. Watchman Nee's quite, you know, it's, it's one of those classics. Yeah. I, he's kind of fallen on hard times with some of his theology, you know, like mm-hmm. in some circles, but I still go back to that and I still go, no, that's still just a great, great mm-hmm. book. He kind of goes through three chapters of Romans, Romans five, six, and seven, or is it six, seven, and eight? Maybe he does four chapters anyway. Uh, but just really goes through, okay, we're justified, we're sanctified and just kind of this position. And it's a thin book, highly recommended to anyone to read. Um, even if you don't necessarily fully agree with his theology, mm-hmm. I think he's got some good perspective there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a good, I think, because he's, He's a different voice from a long time ago. So he's Chinese writing at a time where there weren't many Chinese Christians. And so he's bringing in a perspective. He's not trying to be Western. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that he says is, and I I think that this is, I'll never forget his, his viewpoint, but he makes a distinction. There's two viewpoints that he says, but one of the distinctions that he says is try when it concerns being justified before God, he said, try to imagine the absurdity of trying to get inside of a room you are already in, mm, in reference yeah. to God's justification. And in other words, if you've accepted God's justification, you are justified. It is not, it's not something you have to work then to get back into. It is something yeah. that, is, that has happened. And then I think he also has this viewpoint on, on baptism. Uh, no, no, that was a different study. Sorry. But anyway, so the, the, that, that particular view is, was a really, really helpful for me. Love, love that book. Uh, the two, two books that for me, probably spiritually and theologically, were pretty, pretty powerful, and they're both the same author, uh, Miroslav Volf, the, uh, mm. the Croatian-American uh, uh, professor at Yale now, uh, was at Fuller for a long time in, the, in the Yale. But one is called After Our Likeness, The Church in the Image of the Trinity, Mm. So it's 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 fairly academic, not a fun read, but for me it was brown, groundbreaking because it opened up my eyes to the essentiality of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. In, in and there's probably better books to read uh, that are more accessible. Uh, but one book that he has that's incredibly accessible, which is an exploration of Luther's theology, is called Free of Charge, hmm. giving giving and forgiving, maybe in a secular world or something like that. Uh, but it's 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 a great read, and it's his his his, his uh, thesis there is that God, in His essence, in His ontology, is a giver and a forgiver. Mm. Uh, he wants to give and He wants to forgive, and that's who yeah. He is. Yeah. And and therefore, that how does that apply to us and how we give, and how we forgive as well? Um, 
that. So just for me, just a powerful, uh, and, that, and then I would say too, they're kind of old now, but I still think really good and really kind of prophetic books, Samuel Escobar's uh, The New Global Mission, The Gospel from Everywhere to Everyone. Hmm. And then what was the one, it was, it was really popular, Philip Jenkins, remember The, the New Global Christendom? Oh yeah, I haven't read it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it wasn't a great book, but it just in its moment, at least, it it opened, you know, I think my eyes, both those two. Okay, we're in a new world, mm-hmm. and and the way we think about missions has to change because we're not in a American dominated or Western European dominated, you know, right, right. Movement. The, the 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 for me, those are books that said the Great Commission is working. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it has, it, the, the gospel is in most places in the world. There's still some places where it's, it's not, but, uh, and the gospel is going all over from, from everywhere to everyone. It, so Escobar's book is, is, is really good. Change, but it changed, it changed my perspective of what was going on in the world. Mm. I, gosh, I could go through, um, a ton of stuff, a, a few books that, that I absolutely loved. Uh, I like anything by Frank W. Borum. I got introduced uh-huh. to him by Ravi Zacharias. Uh-huh. Um, he writes in a, he's old, a Scottish, I think, and it's old stuff. I mean, we're talking 17, 1800s. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. But it's, it is, um, he has such an inspiring style, but it's a, it's of a different era, right? So you, yeah. you're, you're, it's just not written in a way that, he's just telling a story and then all of a sudden he drops the bomb on you and it's like, Oh, that's so deep. Kind of like what Ravi Zacharias would do. Uh-huh. Um, but mushrooms on the more, I mean, a lot of this stuff is actually free on Kindle. Uh, mushrooms on the more is one of his, oh, yeah, it's just yeah. a really good book, a handful of stars, uh, texts that have moved great minds. Um, so he's just got really great stuff. And honestly, if you ever just want to be inspired and have someone lower a boom on you, it's, uh-huh. it's go to Frank. F.W. Borum. Um, I would say that um, trying to look through here at a couple others um, that I had listed up, but I, Frank Borum, um, gosh, where did it go? I'm, I have, oh, Delighting in the Trinity. You mentioned the Trinity uh-huh. um, by Michael Reeves was a great book. Uh, really kind of that, that idea of, uh, this was a, 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 an apologetic, but an important, reality when i was doing ministry in a muslim uh-huh. context is that muslims will claim that god is is one and yeah. they would make his unity so tight that you know to say he is trinity is is uh is is a sacrilege but the problem with that is that if with if god has always been one at some point he was alone and by himself he cannot be loved because he did not have someone to love and so within the Trinity, you have this idea that love can, can exist pre-time mm-hmm. uh, and it can have existed for all eternity. And Reeves really explores that. Uh, so I think he's got a, a great book on that. Another great book, uh, one of my favorite professors from seminary, Glenn Kreider, God with yeah, us. Yeah, uh, Glenn, about, about the condensation of God, or not condensation, con- yeah. <laughs> God's sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, do you, yeah. what do you call that? Condescension. Con- condescension. Yes. The con- condensation. Yes. The condensation of God, yes. Oh, you're getting guys into a little bit. Anyway, there. read that book. It's a great book. Yeah, I need to, I, I need to get that book. Um, 
Oh man, it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, Glenn's a great. Doctor Kreider is a great. Great guy. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of a few others. Uh, a book that had a huge impact on me early on in my reading journey was actually um, uh, John Adams by, um, why can't I not think? They made it oh, into yeah. a miniseries. Why am I yeah. blanking on his name? Son of a bee sting. Um, Here, you, you keep talking, I'll tell you. Yeah. So anyway, that book, uh, I love biographies. So I'll read biographies of great people biographies and i like them thick i like to just a kind McCullough, of david mccullough yeah david mccullough anything by mccullough is great yeah um but particularly john adams because he was a flawed leader i mean he was a he was a cantankerous little dude but <laughs> he so much of the important things that happened in american history happened because he was involved with them. I mean, the guy yeah. was everywhere and it had it not been for him of doing thankless jobs, so many things would not have happened. Um, and so I, I, that book was just, again, a good book on leadership, how mm. not to be a leader at times. Cause he yeah. really burned a lot of bridges, but also how to make tough decisions mm. and about how to be willing to offer yourself an anonymity for the sake of something bigger. Yeah. Even though he, he, he was, got bursting with desire for notoriety. He wanted to be acknowledged, but he was willing to do things that were for, for the cause. So it's a, he's a fascinating study as well. Yeah. I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw one more book in here. Um, N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. Mm. Uh, his, it's his book on eschatology. Um, here, let me get you the, the actual title. It's, uh, Surprised by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. Uh, but uh, just really good. You know, because, you know, unfortunately, you, you and I probably both grew up in context where eschatology was really about trying to predict the future. Yeah. You know, uh, that was kind of a big problem in American evangelicalism, and particularly 70s and 80s, I think. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be as, you know, ac ac academically, that's what a lot of people were producing. But now it's that's kind of, but I, I thought it was just a, just a great exploration of Christian eschatology and what it really means to hope in the resurrection, what it really means, what heaven is, is really about, and not and not to be so focused on, you know, some of this other stuff because it's the you know the, the symbols of the the, sim yeah. the, the, the who's going to be the antichrist yeah. or you know, yeah. so. that that's a whole other subject for another day is <laughs> yeah. the the fascination there actually I got we signed up. Victoria had seen on Facebook that there was some show that was available on Jonah if you signed up for this app and it turned out to be TBN's app, but we were like, Oh, let's just do it. So yeah. Trinity broadcasting network, which is not known for its uh, solid theological foundation. No. Um, but actually they did a really good job of Jonah. Yeah. It was actually a, good a, stuff. a, a play of Jonah actually uh, that the kids watched and it was great. You know, we had some really great discussions around it. Love Jonah. So that was cool. But now, because I signed up for this app, I get these emails. And I got this email uh, the other day that was like, uh, let me see if I can find the, uh, the book. Um, but it just made me so sad, to be honest, because it was just one of those things where it was a reality of like, oh my gosh, there is still a market for this. Uh, prophecies concealed, now revealed. <laughs> and it's like, it's like after 40 years of ministry and over... 120,000 hours of personal biblical research, 
Perry Stone believes he has discovered with certainty the order of future events is concealed in yeah. Israel's oh. And it's like, oh, why, do we, yeah, why do yeah. we keep going there? Why yeah, do we keep doing that? So there are so certain so elements that, um, but N.T. Wright does a great job of that, of pointing us towards the hope of the resurrection rather than yeah. the, the particulars of being obsessed with predictions. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I love that. Another great book of his was uh, Surprised by, no, not Surprised by, uh, sorry. Simply Good News. Simply Good News, yeah. It's a, it's a pop, one of his popular books. So it's one of his, then it's not an academic work, but it is, man, it is such a good book. I've been trying to get, I, I give that book to quite a few people to read. Yeah. As a, as a just kind of a good perspective on, no, look, the gospel is in itself good news. This is really good. So. Yeah. I, yeah. I would, I, I would say too, the, my, my other favorite resource on eschatology is the Johnny Cash song, The Man Comes Around. <laughs> that's that's all you need to know about theology. All you need to know is that Jesus is alive and he's coming back. And he's coming back. He's coming back. Yeah. That's I, I had a pastor, a good a good friend. He that's he would end most of his a lot of his sermons with with that. You know, Jesus is alive and he's he's coming back. That's that's all I'm you reading, need to know. I'm currently reading a book on. Um, uh, I can't think of his name, uh, Barnum, PT uh, yeah, yeah, Barnum. Uh, I'm reading his biography and, uh, it's, it's really interesting. He was a, uh, have you, have you seen the movie, the, the, um, the greatest showman? No, not yet, but I'm from the, it's kind it's of a on musical of, loosely. Totally yeah, yeah, watched Jack, the movie. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. And the soundtrack is killer. Yeah. But it is the most American, it embodies the American ideal and kind of like who we are uh, for good and for bad. But Barnum, yeah. I think, in a lot of ways was that. And uh, so it's kind of a look into my own culture. Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like yeah. a little bit both good and, and scary at the same time. <laughs> hey, have you, have you read uh, Steve Cuss's book, uh, Managing Leadership Anxiety? Yeah, yeah. That's a great book. Yeah. What, what, are, some of the, what are some of the takeaways you've had? Well, I think, you know, the non-anxious presence, the, the, he gives you some really clear, simple things uh, that I think for leaders are great. That, you know, uh, the, when, when there's a crisis, stop and take your pulse. That's, the, you know, the most. Insor- and then I think those issues of self-care, knowing yourself, you mm-hmm. know, he goes in, in quite depth about how to, to do that. So, so I, it's just a great, just a great, I think one of the best books on leadership I've read, probably after, after Nowen's book. Uh, because he goes into like, okay, what's going on in your heart? Mm. So I, I thought it was a fantastic book. Yeah, that's, that's, boy, that's something that takes a lot of time, isn't it? What's yeah. going on in your heart? That's yeah. not something that can just go, huh, that happened. I wonder why. Oh, that's why. It's like, okay, I've got to sit with this for a while and really peel the, peel back the yeah. layers of the onion. Yeah. Um, speaking, speaking on that though, what's going on in my heart or, or, or in that vein, um, Henry Cloud's book, Boundaries, mm-hmm. I, I continue I to go back to. And even with my I've, own counselor talking about, okay, what are the boundaries that I'm allowing to be violated or where do I need to learn? I'm here, I am 41 years old and I'm still struggling with that one. But it is such, man, if you haven't read it, okay, grab it. It is, and to, yeah, get your staff to read it because it is still, till this day, one of the best books that a leader can read or a person, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So many of the things that we deal with in life really at the end of the day have to do with boundaries. Yeah. Um, so he's fantastic. Um, 
gosh, a lot of these are books that I've read recently. I'm trying to think back to the back to the old days. Yeah, I'm trying to think to novels. I, I I I like to read a lot of novels, um, but you know, a novel doesn't always stick with you as what you know, it, it, depending on how how well it is. Although I, I would say, you know, honestly, although they are scary books to read, I I really like Cormac McCarthy. So okay. Corbin McCarthy, uh, The Road, fantastic book. Uh, the other one, oh gosh, what's it called? He's kind of, oh, I'm going to look it up real quick. But, uh, you know, but just uh, powerful, I think. Oh, All the Pretty Horses, for instance, hmm. uh, which has got a great line in it where a guy is getting ready to run off to Mexico because his dad, he's a, he's a, he, he's a horse guy. He loves horses and he's a, he breaks horses, right? That's his job at the ranch. And his dad has sold, decided to, to sell the ranch. So he's going to run off to Mexico and his best friend says, I can understand if you're from Alabama, you'd have every reason to run off to Texas, but you're already here. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be great. This is a great, and, yeah. or, uh, Blood, Blood Meridian is also just, I mean, they're just, they get into, uh, there's a lot of violence, but it gets into purpose and meaning in this world and what is this all about and, you know, uh, and, and just gets in some really deep kind of existential themes and of humanity. And, and, but, it, but, in, but in a way that you're just, you're flying through the book. I just, huh. uh, he's a great writer. i check him out. Yeah, Cormac McCarthy. You know, they, he, he wrote, well, most people are familiar with the movie No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Right. So he wrote that, that novel. That's an existential movie. I mean, it's kind of like oh, you're yeah. questioning, oh, oh man. What is going on? Yeah. And that's so exactly. all this, yeah, it is, but, but, but so people are looking for something. They're like, what? The Road, The Road, The Road is probably his most optimistic book, I think, hmm. uh, which they made a movie as well, but it's, it's post apocalyptic. It's about a father and a son who are journeying through what's basically been the, the the collapse of society and he the father is trying to give his son hope and hmm. uh, so he can keep going hmm. uh, it's, it's a fantastic book huh. but uh but they're page turners too so they're not you know he's, yeah. he's a he's a great writer but they're you don't you know some sometimes you you i gotta read jane austen or you know but it's like uh, it's, it's, it's good it's good writing you know, I was a literature major. So there's a lot of books we had to read. Sometimes, right, like, okay. right. I can appreciate this. Do you find Do you find you Do you find you enjoy books more when you're the one who's chosen it? Um, usually, yeah. Uh, I, so this is Sometimes part of my. Not. This is a very bad part of my personality. Uh, uh -huh. If you can trick me into thinking it was my decision to do something, I will embrace it a lot more than yeah, if, yeah. if it's just handed to me. Um, I, I feel less controlled that way. And that's something that I'm learning to undo. Yeah. But um, you ever read Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose? Oh, Story no, of but Lewis Stephen Ambrose, yeah. Stephen Ambrose has got some great Gosh, books. that book, man. You want to, you talk about a book on leadership uh -huh. uh, and about thinking and about changing, pivoting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That, that book, that yeah. book. And it's not the lessons that, that everyone says these days that, that, that it is. Um, yeah, but I think that book that 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 is pretty popular now, Canoeing the Mountain, is a great book. Yeah, um, but I don't think book. the analogy goes far enough to help us understand what we need to do. Yeah, um, but Undaunted Courage, fantastic book. Um, 
to that end though, what I'd say is about, if you're talking about leadership and different things, um, one of the, th or actually being a missionary, some of the greatest books I've ever uh, read, gosh, that's a bold statement, really good books that I've read that have helped me think about how to be a missionary and how to look at the world I'm in and question and try to understand it have actually been travel journals. And most of the time they're comedic uh, because it's people, yeah. it's people butting up against culture and trying to go, how do I navigate mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. and survive? And mm -hmm. one of the best books, and I, I referenced it actually last night, funnily enough in my head, I didn't say it out loud, but it was, I'll never be French no matter what I do. And it's about a guy who moves to uh, Brittany, uh, uh -huh. France and moves there for a woman they break up. He ends up buying a house and staying there and trying to fit into the local French color culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just these stories of like, oh, it's painful. And, and to be honest, if you've ever lived in a culture, we all have those stories. Yeah. <clears throat> but he yeah. eventually comes to this point where he goes, I'm never going to be French. But I can do certain things that make me less American. Yeah. So see, he comes to this place that's just like, you know, at the beginning, you're kind of like, oh, I just want him to fit in. And then eventually, both France accepts him for who he is, and yeah. he accepts them, and they kind of have this happy medium. Yeah. And I would say that in some ways, that's kind of become me. I, every now and then, I'll say, I'll never, I'll, I'll never be Swedish, or I'll never be, you know, I'll never stop being American, no matter how hard I try. Um, it doesn't mean I give up, but it means I accept certain things. It's kind of like an, an old woman who you know, goes to the beach in a bathing suit with her wrinkly skin, you know, all over yeah. the place and just goes, I am who I am. That's I what it is. I, she's not trying to be anything else. I, I still want to go to the beach. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> right. So in, in some sense, I, I think that's, but I love travel journals. Uh, Bill Bryson actually has been Bill fantastic. Um, he wrote tons of stuff. I mean, he wrote a, a book called A Short History of Nearly Everything. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, but he wrote a book called, uh, in a sunburned country on Australia. So uh -huh. I think his travel writing is better than some of his other writing uh -huh. because he's just a guy who gets into awkward situations and they're hilarious, but I think mm -hmm. they're also insightful into human behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like those books too. And I probably need to go in a second here, Yeah, uh, you're good. but, um, but, but uh, my last recommendation is a book called this love is not for cowards. Hmm. It is a book about an American guy who moved to, Tijuana? No. Uh, what's the other one on the Texas border? Not Tijuana's on the California border. The big city across from El Paso. Juarez. Oh, See yeah. that Juarez. He moved to Juarez and he was working there as a journalist and he got involved with Juarez's soccer team. And they, they, they were typically not a good soccer team and they got up to the first division. But it was during the height of the, the well, the start of the last Mexican cartel war where, where uh, sorry, it's not Tijuana, Juarez actually for a while had higher murder rates than Baghdad oh my gosh. Um, at the time of the height of the, the, the war in Iraq. And so he's living in the midst. And so it's his, his talking about how this city galvanized, this team galvanizes people. And there's actually a kid from like Texas playing on the team at the time. And he gets him up to, you know, so it's, it's a story about the city, the, the drug war and him, becoming a part of all that and what that meant and, and you know having friends get killed and you know finding bodies while he's out right, right going for jogs and you know uh but then how these people this this city embraces this team uh but this love is not for cowards great great book 
Well, Garrick, if I had a nickel for every uh, drug cartel book I've read <laughs> that's helped me in ministry. <laughs> well, I don't know if it helped me in ministry, but it's <laughs> a fascinating book. Like, but, and I, I can give you a few other drug yeah. cartel uh, oh, man. books. Well, listen, reading is fun. It needs yeah. to be done to exercise the mind as well as one's perspective on life. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. I always enjoy, yeah. t- I got tons of books now I want to read. So thank yeah, you for that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Amen. Well, and, and I think just for what the key takeaway for this is everyone go out and get a big, the big wonderful thing, a history of Texas. Your life will and, be much better for and it. And much better your life, you're going to enjoy it. And you, you probably want to move to Texas, but you know, that's, well, you're, you're welcomed. You're welcomed <laughs> in Texas. Anyone. <laughs> for everybody. Garrick and I will be opening the embassy for Texas uh, soon. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, I hope you have a great weekend. I hope uh, your afternoon is good now that we're uh, quickly passing into it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, great. we will great conversation. Uh, talk to you later, bud. Hey, have a good time on the, the Camino. Hey, thank you. But we don't talk to you. We're, we're, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll, so that's exactly, the next one. Exactly one year since the last time we were on it. Yeah. So. Ah, sweet. Well, that, that, that's obviously going to be another upcoming podcast topic. Because you're doing the family Camino. Yeah, this is the family Camino. I the might actually, I might, I'm pondering, should I, should I record some thoughts at the end of the day and then we'll just make that into a... a I think that's a great idea. Or a, a podcast. We'll I see. I might, I might do it. I might just end up recording them and see if we can stream them together. That sounds good. Anyway. All right, buddy. Cool. Have, Have a, a good, good one. one. Say hi to the family. Talk you to too. you later. Cool.